0: yards from a Cape Buffalo. The black death. Pulled off a frontal shot and me watching this from about 10 yards behind knew it was a terrible shot. Or not terrible but I knew it was placed probably about three inches too low. Smacking that buffalo straight in the brisket. The buffalo turned, did a full 180 so it's is facing us now and then next minute jumped back around and the client hit it again with the second shot. I didn't see where the second shot went, but all I knew is it pissed that buffalo off and came charging. guys and welcome to another episode of the ph journals podcast today's episode not only is it very very special because we're going to for the first time in our podcast in history we're going to be giving away a gift it also is our second last podcast of the 2020 season 2020 has been incredibly hard on most of us and We just felt it was fitting to have two more episodes left before we kick off the 2021 season with a very good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast before, Patrick Dugan. He's got a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the political status as far as America is concerned with the whole Biden-Trump campaign. And what does this mean for us as professional hunters in South Africa and Africa alike? What does the future hold if either vote goes either way? So yeah, that's a pretty cool podcast to kick off my season next year, and I can't wait. i start hunting with Pat on the 28th of December, and it's extremely exciting, especially after the the struggling year we've had. Guys, like I mentioned, it's December time, it's time to give back, and it's time to spend with loved ones, family, and friends, and from the PH Journals team... We would love to announce and a big thanks to PH Toolbox and Merrill. We will be giving away a set of hunting, hiking, camping, whichever you want to, category you want to put it in, boots. They're genuine leather, waterproof, lightweight. I mean, those of you that are watching this on YouTube, I'm literally holding on up with two fingers. I've always I've always used Courtney's when I'm out in the field. And just because of the durability and they're extremely comfortable. So this is a nice little um, in-betweener that we've got. They're really lightweight, they're extremely comfortable, they're genuine leather and waterproof. So when you're hunting those early morning, the dew's not going to make it too heavy. And um, yeah, can't wait to test them out. Light soles, um, really soft underfoot. And you know, those of you that Um, enjoy an ankle-high boot will thoroughly enjoy these. So a big shout-out to Merrill and PH Toolbox for letting us give you guys the opportunity to win yourself a pair of these. Remember, we do ship worldwide, so this doesn't limit anyone to entering this competition. All you have to do is take a picture of yourself listening or watching this podcast, or just a screenshot, tag us in it or send us... um, the image via Instagram, Facebook, or even email, I'll put all the links down below, and you will stand a very good chance of winning an awesome pair of boots. Um, I'm very privileged to sit here in this position and be able to do this, so I just want to, this is just our way of saying a very big thank you to all our loyal followers and supporters thank you so much for the support you guys have been giving this isn't however the last time we would be giving away something next week's episode we'll be giving away a no scent hamper um, and if you are a young ph coming through i would highly recommend you enter this one because no Scent has been tapping the south african industry for some time now and they're making huge headway so pretty stoked about that one for next week Well, guys, the podcast wouldn't be possible, obviously, without our awesome sponsors. Firstly, I'm going to kick it off with Healthy Coffee Guy and the guys at Designer Health Products, the official drink of the PH Journals podcast. I've been drinking their coffee for some time now, and on this show, I'll be having the CBD coffee, um, awesome nutritional value, and, of course... It just, it tastes absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to try some of the, um, more of their products. Like, uh, I know they've got the, the CBD blend, the water. Um, I definitely will be having some of them um, on my hunting excursion come the 28th of December. Then, of course, the usual sponsors, Tacticam. Film your own hunt, Splitting Image Taxidermy. If you're looking for a local taxidermy, guys, Splitting Image is streaks ahead of anyone else. And they deliver an awesome product. And not only do they deliver, but they're also the communications is next level. Next up, Treason Camo. Don't just blend, become. Been using Treason for some time now and I can't wait to kick 2021 off in the new early season gear. Then of course, my very own PH Toolbox. I started this e-commerce business, not only to make a nice little bit of side income, but as well to help my outdoor enthusiasts when the seasons are quiet through our very own affiliate marketing program. It's been up now, we've been up and running for about three months as far as affiliate marketing program goes. And I must say the success that we've seen in such a short space of time with your guys' support has been incredible. And I can't wait to get the season going because I know it will only pick up from there. So a big shout out to all the pro staff members and everyone that's involved at PH Toolbox. Guys, so today's episode is based on shot placement. Now, it's been one of the, the topics that has been sent to me or DM'd me the most. I've had requests on requests on requests when I started this uh, the podcasting journey to do shot placements. The thing, the thing why I've treaded lightly and I've, I've, how can I say, I've, I've played safe waters with it, is <clears throat> because shot placement differs from hunter to hunter, situation to situation, and stalk to stalk. What I can do and what I would like to do in this episode is share my experiences ha- I've had in the field on shot placement and why I do what I do. It's been extremely encouraging to see over the past couple of years when um, I've taken all the knowledge that I've learned in camp out onto the field and seen the success when I get out there. I wanna start off by saying (laughs) the most common one being asked has been the shot placement on an ostrich. (laughs) Now, I don't know how many ostriches people are planning to shoot for the next season, But let me just tell you this, the ostrich gearbox, or the vitals, or what we like to call them, sits in front of the animal, so it sits in front of the shoulders. So if you want to shoot an ostrich, shoot it at the base of the neck, the gearbox is there. I don't know why this has been requested most of the time. The one thing I do want to highlight about an ostrich, if you're planning to keep the leather, you don't want to shoot it in the body because you want to try and preserve as much of the leather as possible, and therefore you want to go with the more difficult shot in the head. The next one that's been asked time and time again is a giraffe other than the uh, headshot. And it pretty much goes the same with the ostrich, but except the giraffe's vitals are a little bit high in the shoulder. So if that's what you're planning on doing, that would be the best place to shoot a giraffe. Guys, I can go on and on about where the vitals sit in animals. <clears throat> but quite frankly, we, I mean, we had a book in Lodge that, um, that showed everyone where the shot placements are on each specific species going from, <coughs> excuse me, going from Cape Buffalo right down to Blue Darker. So for me, it's not about sharing where the gearbox or where the vital organs are of the animal. It's more about sharing certain scenarios that I've experienced out in the field that have helped me with the success I've had today um, and where I see myself improving on certain hands going forward in the future. Now remember, these are my experiences and each PH has got their different experiences and different opinions on shot placement. The most important thing I do wanna highlight is if you are coming over and your PH is with you, you need to trust him with everything you've got. Guys, professional hunters make mistakes and we are learning from them every single day. We call it school fees. And the point of this is not to scare you, but it's more to encourage you to have a lot of faith in your PH because more, more often than not, they've made these mistakes in the past and they've rectified them, delivering the best possible service they can have for you at the moment. So for myself... One of the most interesting animals to hunt as far as shot placement goes, and I'm going to tell you two very cool stories about it, is the buffalo and my hippo experience. Before I do this, I would like to just categorize my my animals in various different categories, but I've got two main categories. I call them the vertical and horizontal category. The vertical category are animals like your own and your sable, animals that stand tall, stand on their front hooves, stand proud, have got what we call in South Africa a bit of holding, a bit of um, a bit of bossiness to them, a bit of attitude. And those animals, I tend to like to place my shots on the front shoulder, on the shoulder exactly, other than just behind, um, like we often get told. And the reason for that is I just feel that because they stand tall on their front shoulders, on their front hoof, the more damage you can do to the frontal areas of the animal, the, more, the quicker that animal is going to go down and the quicker your success is going to be. I don't mean this by a frontal shot. Look, as far as hunting goes, I believe a frontal shot is one of those shots that is extremely risky, given knowing what you're doing and you can do it right. It can really pay off. But as a professional hunter for your clients, whether you be a first time to Africa or, or an experienced African hunter, you would want to give them the best possible opportunity to retrieve that animal in the shortest space of time. And for me, the most success is obviously side on. Um, horizontal animals go buffalo, blessed buck, zebra, the rest of the herd. Um, and the reason why I say horizontal is if you look at just below their rib cage from their brisket side, it's sort of like a flat plane. And the reason why I say go go for the, just behind the shoulder shot is that's often where the most damage gets done. It, they're more, my personal opinion, I feel when you shoot them, they're more of a lazier animal to get going before their adrenaline kicks in. And therefore, this is where I've had most of my success. Like I said earlier, it differs from professional hunter to professional hunter, from situation to situation. Um, so yeah, uh, getting into it, the Buffalo story. So other than the two or actually three weirdest requests um The first one was an ostrich, the second one was a giraffe, and then the third was a warthog, funny enough. I'll get into that a little bit later. But then straight after that were numerous requests on buffalo. Now, I've been hunting buffalo now for some time, and I've had incredible success. But one of the stories that have have led to my success was... I oh, must have been about three years into my professional hunting career and we came across um, and I was, I, was, I was skivvy hunting, so I was happy hunting, I was tagging along with another really experienced professional hunter and one that I've learned a hell of a lot from. We were tagging along and we came across a herd of buffalo, we singled out the buffalo that we wanted to shoot and buffalo came straight on and he was looking straight at us. We had about a 70 yard shot through some of the thick trees. And one of the things I remember, especially doing my professional hunting course, was we had to do a charging buffalo scene. And I I remember one of the guys going down on his haunches and actually sitting flat on his bottom, his ass, and pulling off the shot and he was failed during that test. And the reason was obviously common knowledge was you you don't sit on your ass because if you need to run, you need to run. But I, I I saw a scenario go down where the hunter and the professional hunter were lying on their stomachs at 70 yards from a Cape Buffalo, the Black Death. Pulled off a frontal shot and me watching this from about 10 yards behind knew it was a terrible shot. or well, not terrible, but it, I knew it was placed probably about three inches too low. Smacking that buffalo straight in the brisket. The buffalo turned, did a full 180, so it's is facing us now. And then next minute, jumped back around. And the client hit it again with the second shot. I didn't see where the second shot went, but all I knew is it pissed that buffalo off and came charging for us. Now, I had the, I had a backup rifle together with another world experienced professional hunter right next to me, also having a backup rifle. And as I pulled my rifle up, the pH next to me had already put two holes in it, <clears throat> and then the pH lying down on his stomach next to the client, finished it off, um with a buffalo, probably about 10 feet away from the hunter. It was so close that you could smell the adrenaline in, in both the animal. And I don't know if it was the hunter that cucked himself a bit, but you definitely, there was just this odor of, of sure adrenaline, fear, and uncertainty. And that's what grew my professional hunting experience is because, you know, I, I understood in that situation that they were gifted a presentation by the animal, and the PH, the professional hunter, decided to put his best interests, not everyone else's, but his best interests first. And that was to try and shoot an animal given hell or high water. Now the reason why I'm telling you this story is because a little while later, a couple of years had passed and I found myself in the very same situation. I found myself at the Fish River <laughs> a couple of years later and uh, <sighs> it was probably the hunt that I learned the most from and appreciated, enjoyed, was frustrated, was everything, all the emotions piled into one. The story goes is every year um, there's a couple of permits that are released for hippo in the Fish River that have been pushed out from the herd by younger, more... um, more dominant bulls, and <clears throat> the locals in the Siska along the banks of the Fish River have developed maize lands where they use the river for obviously irrigation purposes. So it was, it was one of those hunts where I went into, um, I went into an environment that I was not familiar with. I went into certain landscapes that I had never hunted before, but putting no excuses out there. It was I didn't I didn't understand the 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 ecosystem, the the system that was being developed in the Fish River. So getting there was a huge wide opener, but our opener, sorry. <laughs> um, but we get there so within I pick up a local, he's seen the hippo in the area, get down to the banks of the river, drive along one of the main fields, and literally within 20 minutes of arriving, we spot this massive bull. But you can see he's old, he's definitely got the characteristics of being old, he's got all the pigment that's fading around his eyebrows, he's been beat up, I mean, his nostril, oh, sorry, his nostrils being torn to pieces by obviously the more dominant bulls. So we get there, we get within, I mean, the fish river is not, it's long, there's a lot of there's a lot of river, it's probably about, somebody said the other day it's probably about 25 kilometers from mouth to where the Fish River Reserve starts. So we, we're hunting in 25 kilometers with a river space, but it's not very wide. It's probably at the widest point was probably about 50 meters wide. And then obviously, depending on how wide the mouth is at the time. But so we get there, we get within 10, 15 yards, um, of this big bull and inexperience kicks in. Uh, I mean, the river's pushing, tides going out. So the closer we try and get, because we need to suss out if this is a nice mature bull. I mean, I saw the characteristics, but it's nice to spend a bit of time just to make sure that this is the bull that we want to take because, you know, ultimately we want to take the one that's been causing the most amount of havoc. Anyway, we get there and the bull, because of the pushing tide, it just bounces along the riverbed a lot quicker than what we can anticipate or, or get close to. About 70% of our stalk is on our hands and knees. It's through thick, thick, thick shrub. I mean, you can't see two, three yards in front of you. It's, it's incredibly thick there. Anyway, the process of the hunt goes on. And for the, lo- for the next four days, we would have seen the bull maybe about three times and not obviously getting enough opportunity to pull off a shot. Frustration crept in. I've never found myself being mentally, emotionally, physically beaten on a hunt like that before. And in some ways, in some senses, it was humbling, but like I said, the frustration kicks in and it sort of overpowers your thought process. So I'm sitting last day, uh, it's a 15-day safari. We we sussed out that day four, day five would be our last day. As a group, we, we decided that. Um, we had, obviously, other species that we needed to hunt. <clears throat> and waking up 3 o'clock every morning, going to bed at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning was extremely um, and physically um, demanding on your body. So we wake up on the final morning... And from the minute I opened my eyes, I decided in my head that come hell or high water, no matter what shot that that animal presents itself, we're going to take. And looking back now, I can weigh up the two different hunts, the buffalo hunts and this hippo hunt, as sort of... that sort of um, storybook that was being written. The buffalo hunt, I I didn't realize it until I joined the hunt that they had been struggling to get the the main bull as well for a couple of days now. So they had a match of a matchless, same same sort of pattern followed. We get down to the fish river banks and uh, decided that I was going to get a couple of locals and place them along the riverbed, the river banks with my, um, with my tracker obviously being they needed a bit of knowledge within how the animals react and stuff so because I wanted them elevated didn't want anyone to get harmed and they were just basically going to be my eyes and ears along the riverbed to tell me which sort of direction the hippopods were, for, were were going this bull would obviously not be in the pod so it would have given us a better idea where he would have been would he have been downriver or more up river? anyway long story short we settled down on the banks of a a certain section on the river a little bit more downstream because i anticipated the tide to start pushing from about 11 o'clock started going out so if the bull was higher in the river he would start coming down towards the mouth we get there we have our branch and i had a local guy sit next to me and um, the one client actually dozed off a bit um, and this local gentleman tapped me on my knee and he pointed underneath an acacia bush and I get down and I look and I look and I see it's a hippo but you know, this bull had distinct markings on his eyebrows and I couldn't see his eyebrows because of the angle the hippo's head was at um, and he flicked you know, when they flicked that they do that thing with their ears, and I saw immediately the pigment fading on the on the eyebrows. Because that was always my first telltale sign of the big bull, because I'd, I'd seen him three or four times, and I knew that that was the first section on the body of the animal that I would pick up first, that's saying that that's the particular bull we're after. And <clears throat> I kept, kept my cool, waited a little while longer, and I saw the scars on his nose, and I knew this was our bull. So I waited, 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 didn't say anything. And as he got to the edge of the acacia bush, now this acacia tree must have been hanging about two or three feet over the riverbed. Um, and on the sides of the river, it's it's a sheer drop, you know, it's deep from the wash. Um, Tapped my clients on the shoulder, hunting with the open side 375, close quarters, solids. And I say to him, I say, look, when that animal is out from the acacia tree, because I don't want anything to affect the, the the trajectory of that bullet, whether it be a branch, leaf, whatever. When that animal comes out and he presents himself with a shot, because by this stage, we are so frustrated. We are tired. We're sweating. The ticks have bitten us to pieces. Um, it's almost about to, you know, the wind's about to pick up. And then we knew once that wind pick up, that, that we call it out and the hippo slowly emerged from the acacia tree and then I saw my client get ready on his haunches and at the time I thought it was a good enough presentation of the skull for my client to take the shot and bear in mind the hippo was facing away from us because he didn't see us so he was facing away from us close shot close range shot 10-15 yards and I, I instructed my client to shoot, which he did, and absolute chaos went about—kicking, thrashing in the pools, um, legs, whatever, mud flying—and then a deafening silence, dead silence, dead, dead, dead. Not even the the, the current from the from the um, the river pushing was making ripples in the river and we waited and we waited and 15 minutes became half an hour, half an hour became an hour, hour became two hours and eventually we made the decision we needed to go back around the river so back over the bridge, it was probably about another three hour excursion just to get across the river 50 meters I wasn't going to put anyone into the riverbed, were knowing that there could possibly be a wounded uh, hippo in there prodding around and uh, Absolutely nothing, and uh, the sheer devastation that went through me that that day was. I didn't have much hope, um, although we went, we did we did make an extra day of it. We went and hired a boat, drove up river, um, and we just didn't find anything. We put out a reward to any one of the locals that would manage to bring back a skull any sort of body part of the hippo would give them a reward but nothing absolutely nothing and i boil it down to the client did everything that he was told to do and just basically the professional hunter been put into being asked to exert his knowledge his full knowledge of the situation and and looking back now if I had taken a day's break between you know taking a day off and hunted another species or anything like that would have made all the difference but uh like I said you live and you learn and ultimately you don't want to make the same mistakes and it's one of the the lessons that I have learned the hardest from because we put in so much effort day in day and out and it just to end the way it ended was incredibly heartbreaking and frustrating but like I said I mean I didn't do it without having fun I look back now and I, I think it's the story I tell the most around the campfire is because I remember everything every blade of grass I stepped on and it was incredibly rewarding, but at the same time, frustrating. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, not every story has a happy ending, I guess. <laughs> um, but, yo, guys, you know, basically, like I said, shop placement can go between two different pHs, can mean completely two different things. And one of the things that I've learned now is to make sure that you are in a correct frame of mind when you're guiding a client because he entrusts in you and he has to. He has to trust you that you are going to make the right call at the right time. And as a professional hunter, it's you putting yourself in the correct position at the right time. So, yeah, Um, another cool story that I found out about shot placement uh, very early on in my career and it was on a buffalo, and this was a more happier story. Um, We, on a buffalo, those of you guys that know the anatomy, um, the shoulder goes down and it sort of does a V going into the elbow. And a client, well, I was, I was doing another appy hunt, a skivvy hunt, tagging along with another well experienced professional hunter. He's actually retired today and he's chilling in his house down at the coast. But um, he taught me a lot, and, and one of the things I learned and I, I still use to this day is when we load our magazine when we go out, my hunt, the client, he'll have a solid, soft, solid, soft. And me, as a backup rifle, I'll have a soft, solid, soft, solid. And it it worked really well. I mean I went out with him and we stalked this herd of Buffalo for some time, came up, got within a hundred yards, the climb pulled off a magnificent shot just behind the shoulder, where you want it. And next minute his follow up shot was high, right below or well not right below, about three inches at an angle from the shoulder from the top of the shoulder and the buffalo dropped on the spot. And we waited a couple of minutes, and the next minute we hear the death bellow, and I was just like, okay, well, that didn't go according to plan. So I get back to the lodge, I didn't want to ask any questions in front of the clients, and I said to him, I said, you know, that that follow-up shot, you cocked that up, right? He said, no, it was all planned in a very relaxed sort of tone. And I was like, "Oh, plan? I said, I've never seen anything like it." He said, yeah, well, for me, with a shot that, with a confident shot that I was confident my client put into the Buffalo, often times they don't always reload as quickly and the Buffalo tend to veer off and um, your, your stalk becomes intensively longer than what it should be. And he said, my follow-up shot was directly on the shoulder, shattering both shoulder blades and dropping the animal there and then. And I was like, yes, that's an interesting way of seeing, but it only comes with experience and time and faith and belief in the client's shot. So obviously he always said to me, he said, when you're buffalo hunting, and if you're not a follow-up shooter, I'm not personally, but he was, He said, and you're 100% certain of your client's first shot. Always just make things a lot easier for yourself and drop the animal there and then. And it made complete sense to me. And I use it now to this day. If if my clients put in two good shots just for us to save us and save the animal, that extra bit of um, endurance or pain or whatever, just to put that shoulder blade shatter that shoulder blade and make sure that that animal stays on the spot and just give it some time to ultimately pass away and um, it's been an incredible learning experience for me because i never thought it would be possible to do until i put myself in that situation so um from myself to all the younger generations out there guys learn listen and hunt with as many top quality pHs as you possibly can out there because you'll never, ever, ever, till the day you stop hunting, stop learning. And that's an important lesson I've had to learn myself because you know, when you're a young professional hunter and you come on the scene and you think you know everything and um, you can quickly, quickly be humbled and put in your place by a couple of bad decisions, a couple of bad mistakes and unnecessary school fees. That you have to pay, and um, yeah, these have been incredible adventures that I've been on. I'm forever grateful for them. Some of them haven't been as successful as what they should have been, but we've lived, we've learned, and I've got a cool story to share with you guys at the end of each of one, each one of them. And it's been myself putting myself in those certain situations that I get to share these experiences with you guys. So, guys, for myself. As far as shot placement goes, um, I do. I've got one more. The black and blue bears. Don't shoot it in the scoff. No, they they unique animal where the neck, sort of there's about a six inch gap between the neck and, um, and parts of the top, uh, top upper shoulder um, where you need to make sure that if, that's where you think your client has shot the animal. Make sure he follows it up with a very good shot next. Because when that animal wakes up from that scoff shot, he's not going to slow down and he's not going to stop. So, guys, do your research, and you know, these experiences need to be had, and lessons need to be learned. So, yeah. That's all I can say as far as shot placement goes. I mean, we can really get into the anatomy of things, but we don't want to. Um, I just want to share some cool messages with you guys, some of the experiences I've had in the field as far as shot placement goes. And there's various other important points like bullet selection, rifle selection, all that sort of stuff. But we'll get into that as we progress. Um, But for now, research is extremely important and animal behavior before and after the shot is increasingly, not increasingly, but also extremely important to understand your animal's behavior after the shot happens to where you can anticipate where that sort of animal will, will go. Would he go up a hill? Would he go down? Do, do they go through rivers? Don't they go through rivers? Um, I'll share that with you on the next episode after the shot where we can figure out on certain techniques that you guys can follow as far as blood trails, animal behaviors, and, you know, just run-of-the-mill sort of telltale signs where you can look out for where certain animals have gone into, how they die, um, and what sort of characteristics do they follow once the shot has been taken. Well, guys, that ends a pretty long episode, but extremely... Um, worth it i I had fun doing it um it's cool to share some and reminisce on some of the past stories and adventures that i've been on and um i get to do this now on a wider scale than just around the campfire which is pretty cool so yeah two more episodes. well one more episode now to go Um, don't forget about the the awesome competition involving the merrill boots remember we do ship worldwide So entries aren't limited to South Africa only, it's worldwide I would like as many people that follow this podcast to enter And um, I look forward to seeing all the cool images and and posts that you guys will be sending me Um, But for myself, Dylan Love, the whole PH Toolbox team, Pro Staff members, affiliate marketers um, And myself, I just want to extend a very big thank you to everyone that supported us hope you guys have a fantastic festive season remember to share a lot of stories with loved ones family and friends um, because you deserve it it's been a intensively struggling year and uh, 2021 can only get better so once again have a great day ahead uh, if you're in south africa we're having some amazing rain down in the eastern cape um but if you're anywhere else in the world i hope you have a wonderful sunday Stay true to yourself, stay happy, and we'll catch up with you guys soon. Cheers.